Part two, discussion. So the discussion this week will be on how much electricity is inside of us and how much can harm us. So let's begin with our human body, our incredible electronic human body. You might be curious, how much electricity is in a human cell, a single human cell? How much electricity is inside of it? That requires some math, and the answer can be found in various websites. Bruce Lipton is an interesting internet personality. He's an academic with some psychedelic ideas or strange consciousness conversations. And he has an interesting CV if you look up his website at brucelipton.com. He's been an academic researcher for a number of decades. And he has a post where he figures out the actual voltage that is active in our human body. Lipton suggests that each human cell contains 0.07 volts, or about a tenth of a volt. He states the math of this as being the electrical charge difference between the inside of the cell, separated by the cell membrane, from the charge just outside the cell membrane. So in terms of active energy in the human body, he suggests that there are 50 trillion cells times 0.07 volts, and the number he gets is 3.5 trillion volts of electricity in our body. Lipton links to a brain battery article it's not an attack on a brain, but a brain is an electronic battery cell. He links to an article on brain batteries, and that will surely trigger a Matrix film reference to any uh, science fiction fans or anybody who lived in the 1990s and uh, enjoyed watching movies about people in trench coats fighting. And the idea of a brain as a battery uh, also emphasizes the profoundly high voltages that neural cells can display. Lipton concludes that clearly then the minimum voltage potential for a human body is greater than 3.5 trillion volts, and puns aside, that's a mind-boggling potential power. Regarding brain batteries, the quickest phobia people have about our body being an electronic resource is a human survival one. We as humans plunder and kill any valuable resource on this planet so it makes sense that if we were physical energy to other humans, that there'd likely be a new elephant hunt for us, and the ivory tusk hunt for human wattage would be a part of the future. Maybe a water world kind of thing, you know, where we're just hunting down humans for, uh, for energy, for Mad Max type uh, car voltage. <laughs> you know find the other humans uh, to fuel their diesel trucks. All the more reason to be concerned about your vote this season, because there's a butterfly effect to these sorts of developments of culture. But just in terms of us as battery sources, without any politics, Stanford University has done some tests on this, and you can look up human energy converted to electricity, and here's some statistics on how humans can be used to generate power. The average human at rest produces around 100 watts of power. And that'll be enough power to light a incandescent or an old school light bulb. Most of those are about 70 watts. Uh, you'll need about 400 watts to run a desktop computer for an hour, or 1000 watts to run a refrigerator for 60 minutes. 
So you need a couple humans there to do that. Stanford tells us that over a period of a few minutes, humans can comfortably sustain 300 to 400 watts of output, however. And in the case of very short bursts of energy, such as sprinting, some humans can output over 2,000 watts. So films like The Matrix suggesting will one day become ideal batteries isn't totally wrong. Your brain carries about as much active electricity as an LED bulb. I think that's incredibly beautiful. So dreams are a sea of electrical responses. What's fun to consider is the body duplicates itself in its own creations. From the most embarrassing phalluses and domes with little nipples on the top in architecture and sculpture, representing male and female anatomy in our creations is our first inclination. We copy our body in computer programming and electronic design. And the wiring and plumbing in a residence is a crude human, too. We are a nervous system in ourselves, living in a nervous system called a home. The home is a body. Your home, be it an apartment or a cabin or a house or whatever, as long as it's an enclosed structure that is functioning with utilities, it is a wire of nerves sending electrical pulses up and down depending on need. Our body is the same way. A single human cell carries about one-tenth of a watt in electrical current. This is potential energy, not connected, but electricity in your body generates thought, muscle movement, involuntary functions like breathing and your heart pumping, digestion. All these things require electrical current. Death is the absence of electrical current. And with Lipton's estimation of a single body containing three to four trillion volts actively inside of us is insanely beautiful. Electricity is required for the nervous system to send signals throughout the body and to the brain, making it possible for us to move, think, and feel. The University of Maryland has written about our organic electrical body, observing that our cells are specialized to conduct electrical currents. In terms of why all this potential electricity doesn't cause conflict, it's been observed that the contents of the cell are protected from the outside environment by a cell membrane. This cell membrane is made up of lipids that create a barrier that only certain substances can cross to reach the cell interior. Not only does the cell membrane function as a barrier to molecules, it also acts as a way for the cell to generate electrical currents. Resting cells are negatively charged on the inside. I like that. If you're resting, it's a negative charge. <laughs> While the outside environment is more positively charged, this is due to a slight imbalance between positive and negative ions inside and outside the cell. Cells can achieve this charge separation by allowing charged ions to flow in and out through the membrane. The flow of charge across the cell membranes is what generates electrical current. And here's where I like to think about devices like the quantum ocean that might send a small signal to your body to disrupt these membrane relationships. Fun pseudoscience questions. 
Cells control the flow of specific charged elements across the membrane with proteins that sit on the cell surface and create an opening for certain ions to pass through. These proteins are called ion channels. When a cell is stimulated, it allows positive charges to enter the cell through open ion channels. The inside of the cell then becomes more positively charged, which triggers further electrical currents that can turn into electrical pulses called action potentials. That's a great word or a great phrase, action potentials. This all makes me think about touch, human touch. I like to describe this massive electrical field to be why touch is so important both touching someone or being touched by them. In a non-electrical sense, you can touch your own arm with your own hand and it will feel very different than having someone else do the same gesture. You can't give yourself a hug in a way that feels meaningful. Electricity of another human has a lot to do with this. And I think that's why it can be thrilling to touch another human. You feel their electricity, literally, and that's very exciting. And we all seem to have our own uh, unique electrical field, which is why new touch can be kind of fun, you know? Of course, it's not just humans. The topic of electrical healing is a part of science, and the BBC has recently reported on the ferroelectricity of pigs. They report perplexing and as yet unexplained electrical effects found in mammals can offer clues to diseases that kill millions of people every year. There could be something shocking going on in our bodies, they say. A lot of uh, bad puns in this BBC report. A team of mechanical engineers has found that the tough, flexible tissues that make up blood vessels has surprising electrical properties, at least in pigs. The reason this result is surprising is that the property in question, which scientists call ferroelectricity, is usually found in artificial crystals and synthetic materials used for TVs, displays, computer memory, and sensors. Watch out, pigs. Ferroelectricity is rather like an electrical equivalent of magnetism. In a ferroelectric substance, one side of the material has a positive electrical charge and the other is a negative charge created through an uneven distribution of electrical charges in its constituent atoms or molecules. Just as a magnetic field can make a compass needle change direction, so an electrical field can pull all the little electrical charges into a different alignment, switching the charge in the opposite direction. That's pretty cool. This switchability is what makes those ferroelectric crystals highly sought after for the likes of liquid crystal displays and so now they might be inside pigs. And all the same, tissue of ferroelectricity can be handy. Ferroelectricity can influence the way the blood vessels take up fats, sugars, or lipids. Then switching it with an applied electrical field might help to combat cardiovascular conditions that result from buildup, such as thrombosis and arterial sclerosis. If true, then what seems to be an esoteric phenomenon, the BBC concludes, could help tackle conditions that kill millions of people worldwide every year. So there's a lot to discuss about the internal electrical current of mammals and humans. I think it's crazy that we're surrounded by water internally too, our bodies. 
here we are a trillion or so watts swimming in a sea of human fluid. I mean, one of the rules of electricity is to never stand in a puddle when you're working with something live. And that brings us to our second part of our main discussion, how much electricity can kill you. Part two, fatal currents. <laughs> yeah. If I'm laughing and I've offended you because you've died from fatal current, I apologize. But we're going to do some electricity facts here, and I welcome being uh, corrected if I get some of this wrong. Before I go into this discussion, a small disclaimer that I have no authority at all in terms of discussing electrical harm that can be done to you or to others and I'm mostly curious about electrical death and electrical damage or I guess they call it electrical injury as a discussion topic so don't try any of this yourself I am sure as hell not gonna do any of it respect electricity as a product of the earth or the atmosphere, the universe, or whatever you want to call electricity. It's not a element on the table of elements, but I consider it an element. Although I think it's the energy by which elements move. But respect it as a danger that can seriously damage you. And don't be an idiot, my cat is ruining this take. Yeah, I love my cat, but come on, hon. <laughs> but respect it as a danger that can, that can seriously damage you and don't be an idiot. There's a rather famous article called The Fatal Current from 1965. The rules of electricity really haven't changed much since 1965. Maybe some medical treatment has, but it's a fun one to read. So I will quote now from The Fatal Current whose author is indicated as C.O. Brainard. It's a great name. I don't know if that's actually a, a radio handle, but Brainard, B-R-A-I-N, Brain, A-R-D. Strange as it may seem, most fatal electric shocks happen to people who should know better. Here are some electromedical facts that should make you think twice before taking the last chance. It's the current that kills. Offhand, it would seem that a shock of 10,000 volts would be more deadly than 100 volts, but this is not so. The real measure of a shock's intensity lies in the amount of current forced through the body and not the voltage. Any electrical device used on house wiring can, under certain conditions, transmit a fatal current. While any amount of current over 10 milliamps is capable of producing painful to severe shock, Again, uh, that alarm clock was probably, now that I think about it, probably like 15 or so milliamps. Currents between 100 and 200 milliamps are absolutely lethal. So 20 clocks, 20 digital alarm clocks can kill you. There is no known medical procedure, the fatal, the fatal current says, that will revive the victim. They're referring to shocks in the 100 or 200 milliamp level. Currents above 200 milliamp, while producing severe burns and unconsciousness, do not usually cause death if the victim is given immediate attention. I think that's still the case. Artificial respiration must be applied immediately if breathing is stopped. Humans still are like that. 
Resuscitation, consisting of artificial respiration, will usually revive the victim. Good to know. But then I like this uh, crime statistic, if you're looking to do a particular uh, un unkind deed. <laughs> From a practical viewpoint, after a person is knocked out by an electrical shock, it is impossible to tell how much current has passed through the vital organs of his body. So I've watched a lot of Forensic Files, I love that show, and I wonder if that is uh, still the case, that they can determine that, you know, they had so much, so much uh, electricity. But it's kind of fun to think uh, electricity is bullets that disappear. So how does the body respond to a high dose of electrical current? And this is commonly referred to as shock, and shock is relatively more severe as the current rises at values as low as 30 milliamps, so uh, two clocks, two uh, digital alarm clocks. Breathing becomes labored, finally ceasing completely even at values below 75 milliamps. As the current approaches 100 milliamps, ventricular fibrillation of the heart occurs and uncoordinated twitching of the walls of the heart's ventricles. They add that at that level, there is no worldly help for the victim. And then it asks a question, what voltage causes death? And it, they say, ding, ding, that's a trick question. Voltage alone is not the only contributing factor to the severity of electrical shock. So. Here's where it just comes down to all voltage that you don't understand is dangerous because there's a thing called Ohm's Law and some other stuff that we'll discuss in a moment that re, uh, refers to resistance. So I'm going to walk you through Ohm's Law here and try and explain this. Current, normally measured in amps, is also a critical part of the equation along with some minor factors. And when they say minor factors, I don't think they mean little kids that are uh, trying to get in trouble with you. Uh, bad joke. Voltage is a measure of the pressure or force of the electrical power passing through a conductor, while current is more of an indicator of the rate of electrical flow. That might not make immediate sense, but just bear with me here. It'll make sense in a moment. So the two differences there is electrical current and electrical voltage. So how do you get the difference? Voltage is a metered amount, and current is a math of resistance or electrical charge and motion back and forth. I'll explain that. So if you can recall from the first topic, uh, we ourselves have electricity in our body, and that is useful in protecting us from outside electrical voltage. The voltage necessary for electrocution depends on the current through the body and the duration of the current. And if you're curious about the math on this, you'll want to look up Ohm's Law, which I just mentioned. And that's spelled funny. It's spelled O-H-M apostrophe S. And so now we got some math to talk about. And Ohm's Law states that the current drawn depends on the resistance of the body. That the current through a conductor between two points is directly proportional to the voltage across the two points. And there's a math equation that summarizes this. Or you can just hire an electrician. Any electrician can explain Ohm's Law to you. If they can't, uh, hire another electrician. But the Ohm's Law equation is I equals V over R. And I is actually, should be A. It stands for the current that will pass through in units of amps. And this is determined by dividing the V for voltage being sent out against the R for resistance of the conducting point of contact. 
So, talking about being electrocuted, you would be the R in this instance. And your body would absorb as many amps of current depending on the resistance to the voltage in contact. Here's where our skin is actually very useful, but it's unpredictable. The resistance of human skin varies from person to person and fluctuates between different times of day. That's when it gets kind of fun because our defenses against external electricity come down to our skin. Wet or broken skin may drop the body's resistance to 1000 ohms. And high voltage electrical energy quickly breaks down the human skin, reducing the human's resistance to 500 ohms. The voltage current characteristic of human skin is non-linear and depends on many factors such as intensity. Do you have intense skin? <laughs> Sorry. Such as electrical intensity, uh, duration, history, and the frequency of the electrical stimulus. In terms of skin conditions, sweat gland activity, temperature, and individual variation of the uh, skin sample also influence the voltage current characteristics of the skin. Our amazing skin could be another episode, but I don't want to get all Hannibal Lecter on you. Or Buffalo Bob, I guess. I don't know if uh, putting the lotion in the basket, if it helps you, more or less, regarding ohms and all that. Maybe an electrician or a uh, serial killer could tell me. So all of these conditions add up to the unpredictability and inherent luck involving survival from electrical injury. Let's uh, quote some more from The Fatal Current. I like how it's written in a tabloid voice. It says in all caps, So what happens with too much current? So what happens with too much current? It's the flow of current passing through the body that clamps the heart or causes it to fibrillate potentially resulting in death. So the question should really be, how much current does it take to kill someone? The answer is very little. A current of as little as 0.007, or 7 milliamps, across the heart for 3 seconds is enough to kill. 0.1 amps, or 100 milliamps, passing through the body will almost certainly be fatal. However, the current involved in an electric shock is determined by the voltage and the resistance of the circuit. The human body has an inherent high resistance to electric current, which means without sufficient voltage, a dangerous amount of current cannot flow through the body and cause injury or death. As a rule of thumb, more than 50 volts is sufficient to drive a potentially lethal current through the body. So if you're buying a uh, potentially lethal current through the body devices you want 50 volts or more. Other factors that can determine the severity of an electric shock include the duration of the shock and where the shock enters the body. For example, a shock passing from one arm through the chest to the other arm is more dangerous than a shock between two toes. I think that's why uh, one of the safety instructions you're always told is to only operate electronics with one hand, keep one in your pocket. I think it's because the two-arm thing right there. But here's some examples about what is harmful to what is not harmful, to what <laughs> or what is harmless to what is lethal. A static electricity shock, you know, pop when you walk across the carpet, can be 20,000 volts or more but at extremely low current and for an extremely short duration. So shocks 
might zap, but they are harmless. A 9-volt battery is an insufficient amount of voltage to drive a dangerous level of current through the body, so the kid who puts his tongue on the 9-volt battery, that's harmless. A 240 VAC PowerPoint is at a dangerous voltage and more than capable of driving a very dangerous current, and it is potentially lethal. So look out for those. A lightning bolt can be a billion volts. Let's say that again. A lightning bolt can be a billion volts and can deliver extremely high current, around 30,000 amps, and it's rated as potentially lethal. People do survive those things, but that's incredible. A billion volts. Possibly. Above 200 milliamps, muscular contractions are so severe that the heart is forcibly clamped during the shock. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I, uh, I love the way that's written. Muscular contractions are so severe that the heart is forcibly clamped during the shock. This clamping protects the heart from going into ventricular fibrillation, and the victim's chances for survival are actually good. So that's a positive. One should be mindful of the dangers of low voltage. And here's a great bit of paranoia to consider. It is common knowledge that the victims of high voltage shock usually respond to artificial respiration more readily than the victims of low voltage shock. The reasons may be merciful clamping of the heart that we just described due to the high current densities associated with high voltages. However, lest these details be misinterpreted, isn't that nicely written, lest? When's the last time you wrote lest? <laughs> However, lest these details be misinterpreted, the only reasonable conclusion that can be drawn is that 75 volts are just as lethal as 750 volts. It's crazy. The actual resistance of the body varies depending on the points of contact and the skin condition, moist or dry, which we've discussed. Between the ears, for example, the internal resistance, which has less than skin resistance, is only 100 ohms while from hand to foot it is closer to 500 ohms. The skin resistance may vary from 1,000 ohms for wet skin to more than 500,000 ohms for dry skin. So some rules to consider. General safety precautions. It says in all caps, general safety precautions for you. <laughs> for all of us, but general safety precautions for you. When working around electrical equipment, move slowly. Make sure your feet are firmly placed for good balance. Don't lunge after falling tools. I think uh, that applies also to cooking. Don't let, never lunge after a falling knife. Always let it just drop. Yeah, you're just going to want to let the knife drop and be sure to move your feet away. That's about it. Kill all power and ground all high voltage points before touching wiring. Make sure that power cannot be accidentally restored. That'd be a bummer. And do not work on ungrounded equipment. Basically, just if you got to work with electricity, always turn off the power for everything. But, you know, sometimes it's not just the breaker in the house. There could be a, uh, for example, uh, your doorknob and your thermostat run on a different, uh, whatever, uh, voltage than uh, the rest of the house. So you might not even be able to turn them off at that breaker point. So be sure that the power is completely off on whatever you're working on. It says to not examine live equipment when physically or mentally fatigued. Don't do it. And I like this one a lot. Keep one hand in your pocket while investigating live electrical equipment. And then it ends with a few uh, more safety pieces. 
There's some surface rules. Above all, do not touch electrical equipment while standing on metal floors, damp concrete, or other well-grounded surfaces. Do not handle electrical equipment while wearing damp clothing. <laughs> Honey, get my soaking wet robe. I want to work on the, uh, the, the air conditioner. Don't do that. Particularly, they say, do not wear wet shoes. That's a bummer because those are the most comfortable shoes. Or while skin surfaces are damp. And remember, the more you know about electrical equipment, the more heedless you're apt to become. Great phrasing. So we have a couple words here that I don't use very often. Lest and heedless. The more heedless you're apt to become. No matter how curious, don't take unnecessary risks. So uh, then there's some first aid. You know, I don't know how interested you are in that. But basically, uh, it gets pretty serious, actually. I, I shouldn't play it down. This stuff gets pretty pretty frightening. Let's imagine somebody is stuck to something that is full of electric current. Cut the voltage and remove the victim from contact as quickly as possible. But do so without endangering your own safety. Use a length of dry wood, rope, blanket, etc. to pry or pull the victim loose. But don't use that soaking wet robe. These all have to be dry wood, dry rope, dry blanket. So we're, uh, we're looking at a 1965 document here and some things have actually of course changed. I, would, I don't want to be totally irresponsible. So if you look up machinedesign.com there is a article they have called Six Dangerous Myths About Electrical Safety and the wood plank idea is one of those myths just to keep in uh in mind the of uh, survival not uh, i heard on spoken word with electronics just shove a uh, plank of wood under the guy so one myth is that wood is a good insulator and machine design says that wood is a conductor but not a very good one but still a conductor and high voltage power has no problem moving through wood so if a especially if the wood is damp at all we said dry wood but you know sometimes there can be a little moisture in the wood that you don't know about especially if you have to emergency grab some and if the wood is damp it gets transformed into an excellent conductor they say even at low voltage so machinedesign.com says to be careful when using wooden ladders around power lines as one example a couple other myths to be found just look it up Machine Design offers you six dangerous myths about electrical safety. I just wanted to point you to that article while I continue to have fun reading a 1965 article about rescuing yourselves with dry rope and wood. And back to that. I love the idea of just putting uh, wood in between somebody and just sort of you know, pushing it back in between the person. Sorry, that's probably a horrifying experience, but, you know, wedging somebody off of electrical device and then it says that the resistance of the victim's contact decreases with time that's frightening so uh, that that applies probably to politics right now our resistance uh, decreases the fatal 100 to 200 milliamp level may be reached if action is delayed so your resistance will go down and then eventually uh, the electricity will overcome you think about that in terms of messaging political messaging. If the victim is unconscious and has stopped breathing, 
Start artificial respiration at once. Do not resuscitate until medical authorities pronounce the victim beyond help. I've always sort of liked that, uh, that, you know, like, don't, don't give up on him. Keep on going. You see all sorts of stories there where somebody is brought back to life through the uh, CPR. There may be no pulse, and a condition similar to rigor mortis may be present. This is incredible. I wonder if this is still true. However, rigor mortis and others are manifestations of shock and are not an indication that the victim has died. And then they add, it may take as long as eight hours to revive the patient. Is that still the case? That's cool. Popular Mechanics is a favorite around the house and has a good article from 1972. It's similar, it says, uh, how much current is fatal? And it really doesn't add any more uh, information. It's just written in Popular Mechanics voice. So let's compare that to fatal current voice. Popular Mechanics is always friendlier. Those of us, see, see how friendly, it's not you, it's those of us. Those of us who have been working for a long time around electricity with exposed circuit components are well aware that as little as one-tenth of an ampere can produce a lethal reaction, particularly if the current path runs through the heart. For example, hand-to-hand. That's why you want to have uh, one hand uh, down. You don't want to, la- you know, go up one arm through the heart, down the other arm. So why can such a small amount of voltage is harmful or worse than high voltage? The answer is that various current paths through your body present different resistances to current flow. High resistance paths require higher voltage levels in order to force the current through. Popular mechanics rule of thumb is to treat any voltage, AC or DC, greater than about 12 volts as being worthy of careful treatment. How many volts are in a Christmas tree, I wonder? Anyway, unfortunately, most of us think that a shock would be more deadly than one of the 100 volts, and they say this is not so. The real measure of the degree of shock is not the voltage applied, but the amount of current forced through the body, and that need not be very much. Fun little tongue twister there. So not a lot of voltage. Hopefully this makes a little sense now that you know that we've discussed Ohm's Law and resistance. And the big takeaway from popular mechanics is that since resistance varies greatly, it is impossible to predict a dangerous voltage. Popular mechanics, your friend, ends with some safety tips. Let's compare them to the fatal current. When working around electrical equipment, make sure you know where you are with (laughs) resistance. Let's just stop it right there. When working around electrical equipment, make sure you know where you are. Okay, well they say, make sure you know where you are with respect to the voltage source. Don't lunge after fallen tools. Kill all power before diving into circuits. So they have the same ideas here. Don't work when you are mentally or physically fatigued. Keep one hand in your pocket when investigating live electrical equipment. Man, this is the same stuff, so it seems pretty consistent. Be particularly observant of what you are standing on. Don't work on a metal floor, damp concrete, or other well-grounded surface. And uh, they say to avoid the wet shoes, too. So that's pretty... That must have been happening a lot. A lot of people just clomping around in wet loafers and then dying. I wonder if we cured that in the 80s, because I don't remember being told that in any electrical class. In the event of an accident, 
here we go. Cut either either cut the voltage or get the victim away from the contact using some form of insulation to do the job, or you will get caught too. That's uh, the the worry is that a lot of times people see somebody shocked and they go up and hug them to pull them off, and then two people are getting shocked. That's the strength of electricity. Uh, if the victim is unconscious and has stopped breathing, start artificial respiration at once. Do not stop until proper medical aid has arrived. So they're uh, with Fatal Current. Those are two points. Both Popular Mechanics and Fatal Current tell you to do that. And remember, it's not the voltage that causes the big problems, but the current level being driven through body tissues. So that's our primer on survival and electricity. There's a huge amount of information on the web about this. And I hope this makes you more curious about electrical power in general, or power, I guess. And if you don't have any power to run your internet or your laptop, you can always open up a book. <laughs> Books are amazing pieces of technology that require no batteries. I was just reading about them. I want to, read, I want to mention one line. Uh, negativity is the natural resting state of your cells. So be positive. Positivity is active. We'll conclude now with part six of the recovery of Charlie Pickle. Here is the buried sunlight of Sunset Hills. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Thanks and have a very good week. And I'll talk to you in seven days.